0: All right, if you'd like to come back, take your seats, please. Grab your seats. We are finally here. The moment we've all been waiting for. The moment we've all been waiting for. We are getting into Revelation today, okay? It's good stuff. It's going to be fun. It was less enthusiastic than I expected, honestly, but... um, I feel like we've been waiting for this. There we go. There we go. <laughs> uh, yes, so just a fun little story for you. This morning I was sit- or standing over there worshiping and uh, raised my hands and then I realized that I didn't smell very good. Um, and so I was like, this is not good. I can't preach a whole message. And then after that, Mingle with people and then go reapply. So, I, uh, I've been using this natural deodorant, and I know I'm giving you more information than you need, but I, I brought out the big guns. I used the normal deodorant, and we should be okay. All right? Should be good. All right. Yes. Praise the Lord. All right. You guys have a, a pet peeve that, um, that bothers you when somebody else does it, but when you do it, it's okay? Does anyone have anything like that? Yeah? So mine is when people say revelations, but, but it's really just one revelation, right? That's, that's my pet peeve, but it's okay if I accidentally do it, okay? Just getting that straight. Uh, so I'm sure as we preach through this, this book, there's going to be plenty of us up here that, that make that mistake. Anyway, it's one revelation. It's, a, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Today, uh, the the title of the message is Do Not Be Deceived. Do Not Be Deceived. So I'm going to pray, and we will jump in. Father, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. What we are not, make us. For your Son's sake, amen. Amen. So I, I took that from Alistair Begg's church. They do that every week, and I just think it it's really centers you, right? What we know not teach us, what we have not give us, what we are not make us. That is certainly our prayer this morning. So let's stand for the reading of the scripture this morning. We're going to be re- in Revelation 1, 1 through 3. You heard that right. We're getting through three verses today. All right, so we're going <laughs> to read it here. So it says, The Revelation of Jesus Christ That's Revelation 1, 1 through 3. So this book is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, which is us, right? God gave it to Jesus. Jesus is showing us his servants. And what he's showing us is Jesus is revealing himself. He's revealing himself and he's also the one revealing. So, Jesus is the one revealing it and he's revealing himself. Okay? Everybody got that straight? That's what revelation is. That's what we're jumping into. So, uh, Jesus is revealing himself by his angel to John, who bears witness to all these things in this book. And then we have a blessing. Blessed is the person who reads and hears the words of this prophecy. Obviously, we know that it's the only book in the Bible that has a blessing attached to it. It, We're blessed to read it. We're blessed to hear it. So um, in this book, if Jesus's goal is to show his servants things which must shortly take place, that we might keep those things which are written in it, then it's pretty important that we interpret it properly, right? If, If this whole book is about Jesus revealing himself to the church, to us, It's pretty important that we interpret it properly, right? Can we all agree on that? So, St. Jerome, he, he writes, The faultiest style of teaching is to corrupt the meaning of Scripture. The faultiest style of teaching is to corrupt the meaning of Scripture. So we need to make sure that we're not corrupting the meaning of Scripture with this incredibly important book because it is Jesus revealing himself to us. We need to make sure we get it right. We need to make sure we get it right. So, have you ever heard people, um, other Christians, say things like, "I don't believe in a literal rapture." Has anyone heard that one? Or, or people will say, "Jonah wasn't actually in the belly of the whale for three days. That was just symbolic." Or other people say, "God didn't really create the heavens and the earth in seven days," and they'll have all these other theories about what God actually did. I recently heard an apologist who I've followed for a long time through Bible college and stuff. We had to to read multiple of his books. And uh, I recently heard him uh, talking about creation. And, you know, he's done amazing work defending the faith for a very long time from a biblical worldview. And uh, he just came out recently and uh, said that he now agrees with modern science. And he says that the earth is actually billions of years old. He says it's six billion years old. So all of these statements, like, you know, I don't believe in a literal rapture, or Jonah wasn't really in the belly of the whale for three days, or God didn't really create the heavens and the earth in seven days, all these statements lead us to one question. They lead us to one question at the core of it all, and it's, do we interpret the Bible allegorically, or do we interpret it literally, okay? Those are kind of the two camps. We we either interpret the Bible allegorically or literally, and we're going to kind of break those down a little bit here. Because it's important that we interpret the scripture properly going into Revelation when Jesus is going to reveal himself to us, okay? So the allegorical method, the goal in using an allegorical approach is to look beyond the original words or events which have little or no significance and search for a more spiritual, profound meaning. That's the allegorical approach. It means you're looking past the original text uh, the original words and the events and you're looking for a more significant kind of hidden more spiritual profound meaning beyond the what's what's just plainly there and this sounds pretty good right this sounds pretty good it sounds good to interpret scripture more spiritually or more profoundly right well Jade dwight pentecost he writes this he says it would seem that the purpose of the allegorical method is not to interpret scripture but to pervert the true meaning of scripture albeit under the guise of, a, uh, of seeking a deeper, more spiritual meaning. So the danger of saying there's a deeper, more spiritual meaning behind what's plainly there, the danger that's there is that it's up to the interpreter to speculate what the meaning is, right? Everybody hanging with me? Okay, you guys seem like lethargic or something. It's gonna be okay, it's gonna be, it's gonna be good. All right, so hang with me because this is really important for how we interpret scripture, okay? It's it, we can't get this wrong. We can't get it wrong. Okay. So, the danger of saying that there's a deeper meaning beyond the text is that it's up to the interpreter. So, there are many things that go into how a person might interpret something, right? We all interpret our lives, we all interpret our worlds around us based on our our, you know, how we were raised, our culture, the things around us. All of those things affect how we view the world around us. All those things in, influence how we interpret things. So even those who are in similar cultures, who are in similar ethnic groups even, can interpret things differently, right? We, we all have our own ways of interpreting things because we all have different pasts, different uh, cultural upbringing, different languages, all those things. So there's an Australian phrase And I want you to say what you think it it means to me, okay? I'm going to read off the phrase. If you've heard the phrase before and you know what it means, you're not allowed to answer, okay? But but here's the phrase, okay? He's got a kangaroo loose in the top paddock, okay? That's the phrase. Kind of crazy? Kind of crazy? OK, you guys got it. I'm surprised. I read it and I was like, I don't know. He's got a kangaroo loose in the field. I don't know. Um, so the, the, it, it's like the Australian version of he's got a few screws loose, right? OK, so selfishly, I hope Second Service isn't as smart as you guys. I will, I will report back. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so, but we all interpret things differently, right? Some of you may have heard that like I did and think, well, I don't know what they're talking about. Even, even cultures that are similar have different phrases or sayings or they, they say things that they mean one thing and we interpret it a totally different way. So <clears throat> in Revelation 1.1, we know that Jesus has something he wants to show us. He's got something in mind that he wants to communicate through this book. That means our desire should be to figure out what Jesus has in mind to communicate to us, right? What Jesus wants to reveal to us. Can we all agree on that? We all wanna know what Jesus has to say and not what I interpret the scripture as. So we know we can't rely on our own hidden, deeper spiritual interpretation of the text. Uh, There's different cultures, different time periods, all these things play into it. We're certainly not going to interpret the text the exact same way a first-century Palestinian Jew like the Apostle John would have been interpreting it. We we are coming at it from a totally different perspective. Again, Jade Dwight Pentecost, he says, Thus the great dangers inherent in this allegorical system are that it takes away the authority of Scripture and leaves us without any basis on which interpretations may be tested, reducing Scripture to what seems reasonable to the interpreter and as a result." makes true interpretation of Scripture impossible. So scriptural interpretation must be able to be tested, right? It's got to be able to be held up to a standard. If it's up to the interpreter to decipher whatever the interpretation is, undoubtedly life circumstances, culture, history, upbringing, language will all determine how each and every one of us interpret it. So we have to ask ourselves, is this the way that Scripture is meant to be interpreted? I don't believe so. I, don't, I think the enemy is using this, this allegorical method, which is cropping up everywhere. You see it all over the place now in, in these times. But I think the enemy is using it to sow deception and strip away the authority and pervert the meaning of Scripture. I think he's using it all over the place. You see all, mega church pastors all the time just just putting whatever they interpret on Scripture and, and, and projecting it like it that's what it actually means. So we're going to do a little history lesson, okay? We're going to go through where the allegorical interpretation method came from because it helps us to know how the enemy is using it, how he's used it in the past, and how he might be using it now, okay? So we're going to go through a little bit of history. I know we don't usually do this on a Sunday morning, but you guys are, you guys are sharp. You got, the first, you got the first interpretation thing, right? So you can hang. All right, so... We're going to look at the history. What's that quote from uh, Winston Churchill, right? I think it's attributed to him. Those that fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it, right? Those that fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. So the, the hope here talking about the history, is that we will not repeat the same mistakes that our church history have done before. So Thomas Hartwell Horn he, he recorded in his book, the allegorical interpretation of the sacred scripture cannot be historically proved to have prevailed among the Jews at the time of captivity or to have been common within the Jews of Palestine at the time of Christ and his apostles. The Platonic Jews of Egypt began in the first century Interpreting Scripture this way, in imitation of the heathen Greeks, in imitation of the heathen Greeks. That's where it comes from. So those who originally interpreted in the allegorical method, they they said the hard things are kind of, um, they're kind of uh, what's the word? They're they're allegorical, but they're you know they're not they're not literal, right? So they said that they're not literal because they wanted to be like the Greeks. The goal for them was. To interpret scripture allegorically was to make the, uh, the scriptures palatable to the, s- the secular mind. Their goal was to reconcile Mosaic law and Greek philosophy so that the Mosaic law might be, become more acceptable to the Greek mind. So what does this mean? The allegorical method was first adopted because the Bible was too supernatural. The Bible was too miraculous. They needed to find a way to tone down the scriptures so that it would be more acceptable to secular philosophers. The educational elites and secular thinkers, they couldn't buy into the literal approach that had been the prevailing method for the Jews, the apostles, and Jesus himself because it was too supernatural. It was necessary to change the way that they viewed scripture and the way that it had always been interpreted to make it acceptable to the secular community of the day. Okay, so Philo he he was a philosopher in that day. Philo gained followers, founded in the school. He founded the school of Alexandria, and he merged philosophical ideas with scripture uh, using the allegorical method. And he trained other people in this allegorical method. So you have the school of Alexandria who was promoting and teaching this allegorical method. One of Philo's followers, and stick with me, this is all very important to our church history, is Oregon. And Oregon was the exegetical oracle. He was the guy that everyone looked to to interpret the scriptures. Everybody looked to him to tell them what the true, hidden, secret, spiritual meanings were behind the scriptures. He spiritualized away the letter of scripture instead of bringing out the plain meaning of scripture and he inserted in this time period in the church, he inserted all kinds of foreign and perverting ideas into scripture. So Philip Schaff, speaking of Oregon's allegorical interpretation of scripture, he says his allegorizing suited the taste of the age. It suited the taste of the age. Aren't we seeing that today? So Philo, he he was, he popularized the reading of the Bible allegorically, and then Oregon followed. And what happened next in our church history is devastating. So we can see that Oregon, he set himself up as this oracle, but then Augustine comes in and he takes it a step further and he lays down this rule that the Bible must be interpreted by church orthodoxy and everyone coming out of that has to basically take that as gospel. So it means the Bible was interpreted based on whatever the church the Catholic Church put forward. This is what the church says this, this means, and everybody else took it. So the leadership of the church decided how Scripture was to be interpreted, which meant that not only were the relig- religious elite the ones who could interpret Scripture, but they were also the only ones that could read it. Remember the Reformation? Something that, that, that stirred up the Reformation was, was the trans- translating of the Bible into English so the common man could read it. The church leaders liked it this way. they liked it that they had no accountability. They liked that nobody in their, in, in the audience or in the church was was account, they weren't accountable to anyone because nobody could interpret it. nobody could read the scriptures doesn 't this sound like where we are right now? We have church leaders who love being the teacher. they love being the one with the knowledge and the understanding. they love being the one who uh, who everyone looks to to bring the special revelation? There's excess of teachers you can listen to online. Um, people willing to give their Bible study. Um, we we see today people are willing to give their Bible study up, so that they can just hear and be spoon fed by teachers. People aren't studying the word themselves. They come to church. And they get spoon-fed, so I don't have to do any of the work. I'm afraid that we are coming back to a very similar situation to right before the Reformation. And then people didn't read the Scriptures for themselves because they couldn't, but now it's because we choose not to. It's much easier to turn to a number of teachers who can just tell you what you want to hear than to have to dig through Scripture and find out what Jesus actually meant by reading and interpreting what he meant by what he was saying. So do you know that deception only grows as the end times draw nearer, right? Deception only grows as we get closer to the end. False doctrines and false ideas lead people astray and deceive hearts. It it grows more and more convincing and more and more deceptive. So much so that the false prophet in the end times, he'll be able to perform signs and wonders. We have to stay vigilant. We have to read the Bible for ourselves. We can't rely on teachers. We can't rely on someone else doing the work for us. We have to rely on God himself and his word, okay? The early church fathers, this was so important to them that multiple of them were martyred because they wanted to get this book into your hands. This Bible that you're holding right now, people were killed so that you would have it in your language and we don't even read it. They knew the scriptures, these early church fathers, they knew the scriptures, they saw the abuse of the religious elite, and they took action. So John Wycliffe, he was one of the primary instigators of the Reformation, and he was martyred because of his strong disagreement with the Catholic Church over the fact that they didn't have Bibles in English so that everyone could understand. So it was people like John Wycliffe who laid the groundwork for the Reformation to take place. Don't neglect the reading, and the studying of the word. The allegorical method was adopted because it empowered church leaders to determine whatever they wanted for their followers to hear. Because it made sense, not only because they they wanted to be in control and they wanted to determine what the scriptural interpretation should be, but also because they wanted it to make sense to the secular mind. They wanted it to make sense to the secular mind. Can I just encourage us right now, don't let science dictate how you interpret the Word of God. Science. Don't allow knowledge of men or the educational elite or new discoveries to determine how you believe about the Word of God. People like Philo, he wanted to remove the element of faith. He wanted to remove the element of faith from the scriptures. He wanted to make it palatable to the secular mind. The Bible is not meant to be palatable to the secular mind. The Bible is the supernatural, miraculous word of God. If I so if if their goal was to try to make it palatable to the human mind, the reality is that I can't even read a text while my wife is talking to me. I can't do two things at once, right? I'm trying to read a text and listen to my wife at the same time. I can't even do those two things, and yet I want to understand the depths of all that Jesus has done, the depths of all that God has done, what he's written in his word. How can I expect that my feeble little mind can get my mind around everything God has done? Isaiah 55, 6 through 9, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and let the righteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. And this is the, the important part. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways, your ways, my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Don't be deceived into thinking if I can't conceptualize it. If I can't get my mind around it, then God cannot do it, right? If we don't understand it, then it can't be true. God's ways are higher than our ways. We are dust before him. We are dust before him. His ways are higher. Don't compromise his word so that it's palatable to the secular world. We see this happening all the time in our world today, as I shared the apologist who changed his perspective just, I think it was just this last week, saying now the world is six billion years old. Or people like Andy Stanley who believe, he, I literally listened to his message and he's saying, the Bible is not a scientific book and creation really didn't happen the way that the Bible says. That's, that's what he's claiming. The, the Bible isn't a scientific book and creation really didn't happen the way that the Bible says. I mean, it's not like God created science and math and language itself. You think he's not smart enough to communicate how he actually created the heavens and the earth? Andy Stanley thinks he's smarter than God. He's, he's got God caught, right? Oh, this isn't really how it was done. I'll tell you how it was done. There are people who are forcing God to fit their secular narrative. And there are people who have huge followings doing this. I'll just talk to you a little bit about what the natural end to this process is. So you start off with someone saying, uh, "This part of the Bible really doesn't make sense to me. This part right here, it doesn't doesn't really make sense." Then you have this pivotal fork in the road, right? You're you're at this point. The Bible doesn't really this this part of the Bible doesn't really make sense. Then you're at this pivotal point. You can decide, "I'm going to trust God that." that I am a finite, fallible human being and that God is the God of heavens and the earth and that he did things his way for a reason. Or I can take the next step down this path and, uh, and question more of God's way, right? I can take that next step of questioning and then I can think, well, this must just be figurative, right? This, this part must just be figurative. Um, you know, and then the next step is You know, really, the Bible doesn't make a whole lot of sense in a lot of different ways. So I'm just going to tailor this piece over here, and I don't really like this part over here, so I'm just going to, maybe that's figurative too, and I'm going to change that a little bit. And then you've lost the authority of Scripture, right? It's It's not Scripture anymore if you've changed all of your perceptions about what Scripture truly is. And then the more you think about it, oh, the Bible doesn't really make a lot of sense in general to me. It doesn't make a lot of sense to my human mind. The Bible must not be true. That's the, that's the path that we've seen so many people take, deconstructing their faith. And it can be easily avoided, right? The, the moment we think, this part doesn't make sense to me. Well, good thing God's ways are higher than my ways, right? It's, it's one step. I mean, it's not, anyway, it's, it's, it's a dangerous road to begin on to question what God has done and how he's chosen to do it. So let's look at the uh, literal interpretation for a moment. The definition of the literal method, the literal method of interpretation is that method uh, that gives to each word the same exact basic meaning it would have in normal, ordinary, or customary usage. Whether employed in writing, speaking, or thinking, it is called the grammatical historical method to emphasize the fact that the meaning is to be determined by both grammatical and historical considerations. So this means, that we look at the historical context, we look at the grammar, what's actually being said to determine what's meant by the text. Of course, there are times in the Bible when God uses imagery to communicate something, he'll use a parable to to communicate a spiritual point. But what I'm saying is the Bible will make clear in it if something is meant to be a parable or if it's meant to be interpreted literally. If if something is interpreted, or if something doesn't say that it's allegorical or that it's a parable, then we need to take it for what it says, okay? So here's, here's an example. Um, Genesis chapter 1. It describes what God did each day of creation, right? And then he rested on the seventh day. A literalist would read that from a literal perspective and say, okay, God actually created the heavens and the earth and everything in it in a six-day period and accept that plainly. That's what a literalist would say. An allegorist would say, well, it's not a literal six-day period. It's more like six time periods where he created the earth. So it was really over a long period of time because science says the earth is six billion years old. So it must have been over billions of years. And science says that nature evolved. So God must have used evolution in the process of creating the earth. So Second Peter three eight it says, "But beloved, do not forget this one thing that the Lord one day to the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day." So. If I read that, then that means that, you know, it could be a formula and that 6,000-year periods was actually what it took to create the earth. So the earth was created in 6,000 years. And if God created everything in the earth, you know, that's that's the way it must have been done because it, it matches up with some of the science, right? That's the allegorical method. Reading beneath what's plainly there, trying to find a more spiritual meaning. And I just have this... This thing that that is burning inside me, like if God created everything, the heavens and the earth, couldn't he have done it however he wants to? Like if he did all of that, why is he limited to your little timeline? Why is it more believable that he did it over, you know, 6,000 years rather than in six days? If it's about the earth being old, because that's what you know, people bring up it's oh the earth. Well, we can tell that the earth is old. Why is it hard to believe that God created a mature earth? I mean, it doesn't seem to me that God created Adam in baby form and just placed him on this piece of dust on the earth and then gave him some seeds and was like that. That's my creation. Adam, go scatter these seeds and plant them when you get old enough. Right? That's not my. That's not what the Bible says. Right? <laughs> I mean, not everything was created in its most infant form. It's, a, you know, Genesis talks about how there's uh, herbs that produce seed, which means they were mature, fruits that yield seed, which means they were mature. So there was fruits and herbs that were mature to produce seeds. So it seems like everything that God made was kind of in its more mature state. So why not the earth too? The bottom line is that God can do whatever he wants. However he wants, we don't need to understand it. We don't need to understand each intricate conceptual idea that he put into place. The issue with the allegorical method, and I hope you can see that through this, is that it doesn't bring clarity, right? It doesn't really bring clarity. It tends to bring confusion and gray area and distraction from the point. So we, we interpret these things literally, right? And here's a few reasons why. Number one, the literal meaning of sentences is the same in all languages, right? So you can interpret it into your language, and the meaning will be pretty similar. So I was amazed to find out when I went to Azerbaijan and met with our missionary there. He's, he's an Azerbaijani man. He, he was born and raised there, and he was discipled there by other Azerbaijan people, and he had the same perspective of Scripture that I had. And I was amazed by that. It's truly because we take a literal approach, right? I can approach Scripture here, he can approach Scripture there from a totally different perspective and culture and all of those things, and we come out with the same result. Also, just the Bible makes adequate sense when it's interpreted literally. But also, it provides a safe check so that there's not just free reign on how Scripture is interpreted, right? That's pretty important that it's not just free reign. Like, I stand up here and I can tell you that Scripture is interpreted in this way, but you can read it yourself and you can say, no, I think you're off, right? That's important. Biblical prophecy has never been fulfilled in other, any other way than l- the literal sense. So every biblical prophecy that's come to pass it has been fulfilled literally. We've been going through the book of Daniel. You see... You know, multiple prophecies that we talked about that have been fulfilled, they have all been fulfilled literally. So it's wrong to interpret scripture because you feel that intellectually doesn't line up with the science of the age. Science is always progressing. It's always changing. But God never changes. So here's just some uh, scientific perspectives that we've seen from the scientific community uh, over the last you know, few centuries. We've seen the scientific community say that uh, the earth is the center of the universe, and then that gets, you know, oh, no, it's not anymore. Then the earth is ex- expanding and contracting over time. I'm not even sure how that came to be, but they believed that at one point. Obviously, that's not true. People believe the earth is flat for a long time. Uh, And obviously we know that's not true. The earth was 20 to 40 million years old. Now it's said to be 6 billion years old. Every time you turn on the nature channel and you turn on a documentary, it's got a different number for how old the earth is. (laughs) We can't try to mesh the Bible and the scientific community because it's silly. The scientific community is always changing. God's word never changes. So 1 Corinthians 1, 18-24, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of the age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, we didn't know God through through our own wisdom, it pleased God through the foolishness of his message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign, Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, and to the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So just like the Greeks sought wisdom, this, you know, this educational elite wisdom, uh, they lived in a society that sought after wisdom, but it was a secular wisdom, right? We see the message of the cross for us is the power of God, right? But the, the, the message of the cross to someone from a secular worldview is foolishness, right? The foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So as we study Revelation, it's important we recognize that Jesus is revealing himself to us that we might have a correct perspective of him. Jesus is revealing himself to us and he's revealing his plan for the future of the world. We need to be vigilant in these times. There's false doctrines and false teachers, and they will only increase. Deception will only increase. And it's not just the world and the Jews that will be deceived. Do you know that? Also, believers will be deceived. The false prophet will be a religious figure who will deceive and perform signs and wonders. He'll call down fire from heaven, and it will happen. How many people... Do you see that if a miracle happens, they just think, wow, that, that must be you know where, where the truth is? The devil has been using signs for a long time to deceive people. Remember Moses going before Pharaoh? He went before Pharaoh, and he performed a sign. And then the astrologers, the musicians, what, ma- magicians, what did they do? They came in, they did the same sign, right? The enemy has the power to perform signs. Don't be deceived. Study your word. So we have deception that's going to come in religious figures, and I think it's already happening, and then you have deception that comes in political figures, because that's the Antichrist, right? He's the political figure that's going to deceive. So we'll have deception in both faith and politics, and it will only increase. So we need to be in prayer, and we need to be rooted in the Bible. We need to be in prayer and rooted in the Bible, studying it daily, because if we do not, we will be susceptible to deceit. If you aren't doing your own study, if you aren't using what God has put in your hands by the blood of people who have been killed so that you might have the Bible in your hands, if you're not using that to prepare yourself to study what the Word actually says, you are susceptible to being deceived. If you want to safeguard yourself against all deception, don't trust the teacher to do the research for you. Don't neglect the Bible which has been martyred to get into your hands be watchful and be vigilant stay in the Bible so may we understand an accurate perception of what Jesus is trying to communicate through this book as we continue through it so let's let's go ahead and pray lord jesus thank you for your word your word is so powerful your word is incredible and that's where we can gain truth. That's where we can gain wisdom. That's where we can safeguard ourselves from being deceived. So God, would you just prepare each heart in here to um, to do exactly what we're called to do? Not to just trust the, the preacher on YouTube to interpret scripture for us. Not to just trust whatever is easiest. But God, may we stay loyal and focused on you. Maybe we, we stay focused on what you're doing, God. Because We want to stay safe. We want to stay within your hands, Lord. So we just empower us to do that. Help us not to neglect your word. In Jesus' name, amen.